Hello, language hackers. Benny here, welcoming you to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode with Lindsay, Shannon and I have a chat about learning languages while traveling, tips for learning indigenous languages, and what it's like being a language dabbler. Some of the things we discuss are Lindsay's experiences traveling around the world with her husband, Ashley, creating language stories, a plan of action for learning a language before a trip, habit stacking, habit chaining, and time management, and how to teach and be taught languages. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a review. It helps other language learners like yourself find us, and it lets us know what you enjoy most about the podcast. You can share your thoughts with us over at languagehacking.com review. We read every single review that's shared by our listeners. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com 28. And now... On to our interview with Lindsay. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Welcome to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Shannon Kennedy here with my co-host, Benny Lewis. Hello, hello. And today we are talking with a very special guest, someone who has traveled the world, learned loads of languages, is the host of Language Stories, a co-host of Women in Language, and that's just a few of the things that are under her resume. And so I'm very happy to introduce Lindsay Williams of Lindsay Does Languages. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. Hello. 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 All right. So why don't we just go ahead and dive right in? Can you tell us a little bit of how you got into languages? Yeah. In terms of getting into languages, I would say I was about 13, 14. So I'd done French at school before that, way in primary school. Well, I wasn't really that into it, but kind of kept it up because you had to. And then I wanted to do Spanish at GCSE because I liked Shakira. <laughs> Shakira had just released Laundry Service, um, some songs in English, some in Spanish. And I thought, oh, I can translate the Spanish ones if I can learn French. I don't see why I can't learn Spanish as well. So, uh, yeah, but to do Spanish at my school, I had to keep doing French. It was like, you have to prove that you can learn a language by continuing with French. So I was like, okay, why not? And then I guess from there, with the two of them, it kind of just became something that, you know, evolved into then learning more and more languages along the way. Yeah. And um, as well as learning the languages, the likes of Spanish, you've actually taken this on the road with you and You've applied it by diving deep into South America. So what was that like? And how is that different from the more studious side of learning Spanish to seeing it in real life? Yeah, it was so much fun. When I was 18, after about four years of learning Spanish, kind of very formally and, you know, in school, um, I was lucky enough to be able to go to Costa Rica. So I was there for three months. I was teaching English, living with a local family, using Spanish every day. And, you know, for four years, I'd, I'd studied this language. I'd passed exams. I'd got my pieces of paper that said I could do this thing. But when I arrived, it was like, um, how do I say that? Uh, I know what I want to say, but how? And so those three months I feel were really very, 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 very sort of formative in terms of developing my Spanish into something much more usable. And then many years later, almost a decade later, in fact, in uh, August, 2017, me and my husband set off 
um, around initially around the Americas, and then we included um, Asia as well. And we were making language stories. Yeah, as Shannon said in the intro, that's something that that I uh, that I've done that we were going to do this year with season three. We were going to be in the UK. And uh, that hasn't happened yet, but hopefully next year we'll get back to it. But it was so good to be able to go to Latin America after, because then, you know, from school and stuff, I then went on to do a degree focusing in, in French and Spanish. And, you know, for the Spanish, it was like there was this whole, with French as well, you know, there's these whole parts of the world that are just quite often not as talked about, you know, you open your Spanish textbook and it's about Madrid or Barcelona. And <laughs> I don't know if that's different in the US, but here that's, that's what it is. You open the French one. Here we are. We're in Paris again. We need to buy the train ticket to, I don't know, the, the Louvre or whatever. It's, it's all kind of very Eurocentric. And so to get the chance to explore all of these other sides of things. And that was something that with language stories, I was very keen to do in Latin America first in particular, because you think Latin America, Spanish, and they speak Portuguese in Brazil. That's kind of it on the language front, but it's just not the case whatsoever. And I really enjoyed the chance to dig into language beyond Spanish um, in, in that whole region, you know. When you went to go start this project, obviously you just didn't fly out to you know, South America and walk around with a microphone asking people if they spoke a language that wasn't Spanish. So how would you plan for something like that and and find the people that you spoke to and kind of have these experiences in these communities where other languages are spoken? Like, what did you do to prepare for that? Initially, I had very little idea if anyone was ever going to say yes. We were very lucky in that the first two episodes we made, we flew out to New York. Um, and Benny, you were very, very gracious in, in accepting our, our uh, offer for an interview there. So Benny was, was one of the people we spoke to for that episode. And we had a few other people that we knew, um, that were able to help us out there. The same with Montreal, where we made episode two. And then obviously the big advantage is those interviews done in English. I, I kind of knew some of these people to begin with. So you had that initial connection. It wasn't a case of having to just reach out cold and be like, Hey, so you don't know me, but we should totally talk for this thing that I'm making. And then really it was in Mexico, which was the third main episode that we made. We were in Cuba for three weeks. And while we were in Cuba, um, Hurricane Irma hit. So we were stranded for five days and we had internet for about 30 minutes just before all the electric went down. And during that time, as we're kind of just frantically on Facebook, like we're alive, it's okay to family and friends. We also read the news that there were lots of earthquakes happening in Mexico, which was due to be where we wanted to go next. And we thought, okay, so probably going up and back, you know, doing a loop of Mexico maybe isn't the best idea right now. What do we do? So we decided to stay for six weeks in. Merida in the Yucatan Peninsula. And I think that was really one of the best decisions because that really gave me the time to get, get a real feel for the place and then figure out, okay, who is here? Who can I contact? So that very much happened on the ground. I was searching on, um, I started, you know, just general Google searches like, okay, what language is here? Right. Yucatec Maya. Okay. How can I find, you know, Yucatec Maya teachers, Marida, Yucatec Maya, um, you know, just looking for things that way. And then kind of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram searching around. One of the first things we actually spoke with a Mayan rapper 
uh, called Pat Boy, which was so, so fun to, to speak with him. And that came about because there were a few magazines in the Airbnb. And on the first couple of days, I was just browsing through them and saw this article about Pat Boy and thought, what? This guy raps in the language that we want to make this episode about? Okay, I need to find him. Found him online, reached out and, and managed to get in touch for, for the interview. And then after that, that episode really gave me the confidence to say, okay, so people do want to talk about this, you know? And I think when it's, when it's something like that, when it's your, you know, your native language, it's, it's something close to your heart that maybe people don't ask about all that often. People were generally very, very welcoming and really wanted to talk and, and, you know, wanted to share their, their languages with us. And so it kind of then fell into this pattern after Mexico of we'd be researching one episode in the, in a following place that we'd be visiting later down the line. We'd be filming another in the place we were. We'd then be editing a previous one and then we'd be getting ready to publish a previous, previous one. So there was like this four tiered layer to how we were doing this as we were still kind of traveling at the same time. So it was crazy, but a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So the, the theme very much, uh, since you already had Spanish under your belt, uh, became investigating these indigenous languages. And uh, I imagine you would have done your own uh, studies to get into those. So what obviously the amount of resources available to learn Spanish are vastly different to those available for learning Guarani. So what mm. do you do uh, to learn an indigenous language or anybody listening? Like, what would you advise to them given the very different situation compared to learning a major language? Yeah. And Spanish was a huge advantage for me there. You know, having the Spanish that I had meant I had access to this whole other realm of resources to learn Guarani that I wouldn't have had if I was just trying to learn from English. So that's something that was really stood out to me first of all. And I picked Guarani. Guarani is, is a language spoken in Paraguay. And I knew from the beginning, okay, that's going to be you know, geographically, that's going to be later towards the the trip. So I'll pick one that's <laughs> going to happen a bit later so that I have more time, um, you know, as opposed to like Yucatec Maya, for example, in, in Mexico, where we were quite early. And that was the only reason I picked Guarani. But then, yeah, having Spanish meant that I could access more. I was also surprised there's, um, I started by looking in what might seem the obvious places where you think, ah, oh, there's going to be nothing there. So for example, Duolingo, there's a Guarani course. You just have to switch the language to Spanish and it's there. Brilliant. So that was really helpful. Memorize, you know, Anki, places where people have curated their own flashcards. There's, there's often something there. Another thing I found for Guarani, and there's again, lots of, lots of languages there. And this was, let me think. Yeah, this was something that was in English, actually. And that was um, on Live Lingua Project, but you can access them in other places as well, I think. There's the, I always get the initials wrong. So cor correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's D, D, S, I, and F, S, you know the ones I mean? The foreign, it's F, S, I, isn't it? And Peace Corps mm -hmm. and DLI, maybe. Um, and they have these free, PDFs, they're slightly old, you know, some of the pages haven't been printed perfectly. So there's this kind of, this, this charm to learning, you know, you really have to want to do it. It's not just like you can go down to your local bookshop and be like, oh yeah, fancy 
fancy learning a bit of that. It's you're instantly immersed into something on a much deeper level. Um, what else was useful? Podcasts as well. Something where you might think, oh, there'll be nothing, but you know, there might be something. And um, also the only podcast initially I found for Guarani was actually Bible readings. Now I'm not a religious person, but having some audio, you know, I didn't listen to much of it, but just having something, maybe a couple of days I'd listen just in the background, just to hear the sound of the language radio garden as well. There's a couple of stations I found. So there's actually just starting with what, you know, a surprising amount of things out there. The one thing that I couldn't get in the UK was books. And I'm quite, you know, I like to have something that's kind of solid, like a, like a book that I'm working through or a course or something like that. And, um, so not having that, the Peace Corps sort of PDF kind of became that main, that main structure. But then actually when I was able to visit, when we got to Paraguay, there were bookshops galore. And I was like, okay, I know that we're going back to London for a little sort of stop in the airport. So I'm just going to buy some books here to pass on to my mum <laughs> to take home for me. Um, so yeah, it's, if you're able to go somewhere, you might get lucky on that front, but generally you're looking at digital things that you can access on the internet. And we're so lucky now that so much more is available than, than would have been just a few years ago. You mentioned that you had started learning Guarani in advance of the trip. And obviously you've known Spanish for quite some time, but how did you manage maintaining your language studies and not having any sort of interference with some of the other things that you had going on while you were embarking on this project? Mm. It was hard. And there were times when I'll be honest, I wasn't doing any, <laughs> any studies. Um, you know, I mean, places like Cuba, for example, the internet's, I, I think now it's changed slightly, but at the time it was very, um, difficult to, to get internet access. And so I was like, okay, nothing's going to happen for these three weeks. This is literally just enjoy where you are. And there was an element of that, you know, of wanting to make time not to just be like, okay, I'm sat in and I'm working with the aircon on, even though I'm in this beautiful place that I may never, ever be again, but nope, here I am. Got to, got to work, got to get the language learning done as well. It was, it was getting that balance and having, I think being with, you know, my husband, Ashley, who was filming the, the whole project and the whole series and him not being, not kind of working in the same level. Like he was obviously working, doing the, doing the editing and making the films and stuff, but also, you know, he wanted to go out and see things too. So having that extra person there to, to balance and to, you know, make sure that I wasn't just staying in was really helpful. But there were times, one thing I found in, as, as, you know, as things got closer, I did have a tutor on italki um, for Guarani a few times before, before we went away. But then when we were away, it got harder, but I had a couple of lessons while we were away as well. But then something I found really useful that I got in Peru just before we went to Paraguay, about three weeks before was, um, I bought myself a notebook. And so every night I committed to writing a page, there was about 13 lines and I would write a page every night in Guarani. So if I was feeling like, okay, my brain's on, I'm feeling quite active. I'd make the sentences myself. If I was feeling a bit lazy, I'd still do it. But what I would do is copy the sentences from Duolingo or from Closed Master and just look at one. Okay. Write that out. Do the next question. Okay. Yeah. Write that out. And I'd still count that, you know, cause it's still having the contact. I've still kept the habit going. 
And um, so, yeah, that I wish that I had started earlier because it actually didn't take too much time of the day. It wasn't relying overly on, you know, internet. I could have done it without quite easily. And um, it was, it was relatively easy to do regardless of where, regardless of where we were, but it can be difficult. It really can be difficult to be moving around on the go in one place, trying to learn a language for another. And I think you've got to find those habits. I always say the easiest habits to set are either first thing in the morning or last thing at night. And that is how it fell with Guarani is the first thing I would do the Duolingo session. And then in the evening, I'd be writing my sentences. So, you know, because those things are always going to happen, whether or not we're sleeping in an airport or sleeping in a lovely apartment for a month, you know, you're still going to wake up and you're still going to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know a lot of people listening to this may just be getting into their very first language, for instance. And um, I like that as well as your more complex um, stories for the indigenous languages, parallel to that, as you said, you were traveling with Ashley and he, he was doing the video editing and such, but he'd also have been learning Spanish as a beginner compared to you with your advanced Spanish. So what um, what thoughts do you have from seeing his experience from the outside and what did you learn about um things that you think might help listeners who are learning a language like Spanish for the very first time that did work and that didn't work. Mm, oh yeah. So many thoughts on that. Um, I think before we left, he'd started a little bit and he thought, as I think many of us do or have in the past, we sort of think, oh yeah, but when I'm there, it'll be easier. So I don't need to put in too much effort now because when I'm there, it will be easier. So why, why work now? And I, I kind of, you know, okay, that's fine. You know, it's all good. You know, you don't need to speak Spanish because I'll be there. It's fine. But then, um, when we were in Cuba, like I say, no internet, so no work in Cuba, three weeks where you are staying in basically like B&Bs and Every morning they'll come and they'll say, what do you want for breakfast? And you have the same conversation for three weeks, every single morning in different houses across Cuba, but it's the same breakfast, the same conversation. How do you like your eggs? How, what drink would you like? Da, 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 da. And he got really, really good at being able to have those conversations because of the repetition. You think, ah, oh, okay. Immersion is working. You can see it in action. Brilliant. We got to Mexico and we were there for six weeks working a lot more. All of a sudden, being inside and speaking English to each other most of the day, he really felt like, oh, my Spanish is going down. So he had a few lessons online with a Mexican Spanish teacher. And, um, you know, and he thought, okay, yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's all right. You know, still building up, still learning, but not using it as much. So then I thought, ah, okay, this idea of immersion really only works when you're actually still committed to using the opportunity of being there, right? Which proved itself again when we then went to Guatemala and, you know, we did a couple of um, homestays where the, the the people we stayed with were wonderfully, wonderfully patient with Ashley and is, you know, we're letting him form sentences, you know, weren't trying to then cut in and say, oh, you mean this? Or, oh yeah, 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 I understand. Or rush him or anything. They were so, so good. You couldn't have asked for better. And that, and he still says to this day, that is when he felt like he was getting somewhere. Where, you know, in Guatemala, he feels like he peaked at his Spanish 
And then after that, it became, you know, it became too easy to rely on me, I suppose. And because like, like you say, because he was working, because he was editing, there was still kind of like with me learning my Guarani, there was still a lot of other things to be, to be focusing on. And it wasn't the main focus of the trip for him. So yeah, I think it really taught me that immersion only works if you have the opportunity to to use it, not just to be there and expect, okay, I'm here now, flow into me language, you know? If you were to do anything different or if you think Ashley were to do anything different to um, better maximize that immersion, what would you say that would be? Mm, I'd say things like, because it was literally being with the same people a couple of times. A lot of the time when we think about travel and language learning and using it to improve our language, it tends to be, you know, we think, okay, so I'm going to be buying the train ticket. I'm going to be ordering in the restaurant and all of those things will happen still, but they tend to be like one-time interactions. And those people are there to do a job. You know, they're not worried if, if you can speak the language, maybe they're going to switch straight to English when they notice that, you know, you've struggled with that one word and it can be really downheartening. And we put so much weight on that, that we feel like, oh, okay, this isn't working. Clearly, I'm not good at this. But those more immersive kind of longer term stays, you know, if you have the chance to go and do a homestay, if you have the chance to to be with the same people for a little bit of time, that can be beneficial. And I guess that links back to what I said at the beginning. The first time I went to Latin America, to Costa Rica, being with the family for three months, you know, speaking to the same people every day, having those similar conversations of, oh, morning, how are you? You know, what are you doing this weekend? Those kind of things. That is the same thing as what worked for, for Ashley. So I think it's really, what I would say is, if you're thinking about going somewhere to learn or to practice a language, think about giving yourself as much leverage as much opportunity as possible. Even if, you know, if you can't have like a homestay experience, for example, something that I know Shannon, we've done when we were in Korea is we did an Airbnb experience where we took a music lesson to, uh, to learn to play. I've forgotten the name of the, the, the flute. What was it called? Can you remember? <laughs> no, I can't remember. <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> I can't remember. I remember the music was called Arirang because I found it the other day. Um, but yeah, we had this this experience to to learn how to to play the flute, and we did the same thing actually in Latin America. Ashley loves coffee, and you know, Latin America is kind of like a very very good place to fall even more in love with coffee. So we did lots of coffee experiences, coffee tasted, and a tour of a coffee farm and stuff like that, and those things you know, where there's an interest, you know, he's interested in coffee, being able to experience that, even if it's, you know, one-time thing, they were really helpful as well. So yeah, looking for the right opportunities that are going to give you more of a chance to actually prove to yourself that you can do it rather than just relying on, well, I went there and no one understood me in the five different restaurants I tried to order in each night, you know? Yeah, definitely. And so I think, um, I obviously want to encourage people to get into uh, travel as soon as it's safe to do so. But for the uh, near future, people will be taking this opportunity to learn languages uh, before any uh, upcoming trip. So what are your strategies if if I was to say a year from now, I would like to have some some kind of a, a South America or some European or Asian trip? What would 
what would your plan of action be for somebody uh, that you would recommend that they take uh, to potentially have the best level that they could have in the language um, in time for that trip? Mm. Oh, you see that this is the benefit of how weird this year has been. A year is such a nice time to have to think about doing that because you can make so much progress in that time, right? So what I would say is think about, okay, what do you want to achieve? What, do, where do you want to be by the end of that trip with your language? You know, what do you want to be able to do? And then kind of work backwards from there in terms of the sort of big goals and then thinking, okay, well, how do I do that at each stage? So rather than just thinking, well, by the end of the trip, I want to be B1 level or whatever, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, how do I get to B1 level before, you know, between now and then, what can I do to get me ready to be at that point? And, you know, thinking very specifically of the how so that you can be thinking, okay, how much focus am I going to need on speaking? You know, is that important? And if you're traveling, that probably is pretty important. So thinking about how you can improve that, things like online lessons, you know, you can have that, you can do that right now, you know, even despite everything this year. And, um, and yeah, like const constantly, that sounds very intense, but you know, you can consistently, that's a much nicer, nicer word. You can consistently be working on improving your vocabulary. So always learning words, but always thinking, is this relevant? Don't just learn a word because you've been told that it's important or it was in that course, you know, thinking, okay, is this important to me? Is this going to be something that's useful? I've got a list on my blog, um, about like kind of essential travel vocab that I've kind of deciphered, you know, from, from years of, of going to places, both where I speak the language and where I don't, because I think you can really have valuable experiences, even if, you know, you're not perfect, which leads me to the other point I would say is not putting too much pressure on that idea of, well, in a year's time, I'm going to be at this level and I'm going to have the best trip ever. And I'm going to be just flawless by the time I return. It's going to be amazing. You know, thinking, okay, realistically, what do I have time to put in and what, you know, do I want to achieve from this? Because otherwise you'll get there and you'll feel like, oh, I can't do any of these things that I wanted to. I always use the example of um, Myanmar. I don't speak much Burmese at all, but what I can say, because this is what the, the kind of old, again, an old PDF course book taught me were things like, it's hot, isn't it? Yeah, it's hot. Is it hot? <laughs> you know, just these like little phrases that you can adjust slightly to say versions of the same thing. Um, it's spicy, isn't it? Oh, this is spicy, that kind of stuff. And they're so much better at little conversation starters rather than, hello, my name is Lindsay and I'm from England. You very rarely go up to someone and say that. So that is something as well, thinking about what's actually going to be coming up and going to give you more opportunities to speak. If you're planning something like a homestay, if you're planning something like experiences that, that you want to do specifically, thinking, okay, What's going to come up in those situations? What's likely to happen? What might I be using? How can I learn that? How can I practice that in the meantime? Something else, going back to the topic of vocabulary, something else that I really enjoy doing is when I'm learning new vocab, when I'm learning new words, trying to put them into a context, especially for me, it works really well with like pen and paper. So just writing that word and then writing a sentence that uses it as well, rather than just 
trying to very passively sort of learn it with with an app and just hope and pray for the best that when I see it, it will magically <laughs> translate in my head, you know? So yeah, sorry, that's a very jumbled answer, but let me try and put it in, in some bullet points. So lots of um, speaking practice, you can get online lessons, nice and easy. Um, continuous vocab learning that you can be also putting into context, into sentences, thinking about that vocab in terms of what's going to be useful what am I likely to to need? How can I express what I want to say? And that then I feel leads into sort of your everyday life between now and then of just every time you have a little conversation in your native language thinking, okay, can I say that in the language that I'm learning? You probably won't be able to say it like word for word, but thinking, can I communicate that in the language that I'm learning? If not, how can I? And so you're consistently asking yourself what you need to be learning and working on that as well. I'm so glad that you brought up Burmese in particular in that last answer, because one of the things that I really wanted to ask you is about all of the languages that you've learned. I've heard you describe yourself as a language dabbler. <laughs> and <laughs> you've learned a variety of languages and many of them you haven't kept up. So I guess I have multiple questions. The first being like, what makes you decide when to keep a language and when to just dabble in it? And how do your strategies for learning a dabble language differ from learning like a language you plan to keep long term? Mm, mm. I think if I'm just, you know, exploring a little bit, having a bit of a dabble, so to speak, um, I would not really set myself any goals with that because the point for me is to enjoy and to just discover and to just see what comes up. So during the like most intense bit of lockdown here in the UK, um, I had a whole weekend where I just, I had a, an online course on Futureland for Norwegian that was like about to expire. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit and learn Norwegian this weekend. I had no reason to, I was not planning to go to Norway. I don't know anyone that speaks Norwegian, but I wanted to just do it because I love language learning. Right. And so for that, it was literally a case of, I'm just going to follow this course and see where it takes me. I found a little playlist on Spotify. I found some radio on radio garden to put on in the background. I had a little look on Netflix to see what's around, you know, just really finding the playful stuff as well. And then on the other side of things, if I'm thinking I want to take this more seriously, that's probably when I start to think more about goals, more about not deadlines as such, but like timelines of where I want to be when, and then working more um, intentionally towards that, you know? So everything that I'm trying to do is, is more with, with the goals in mind, with a bit of an end goal. Um, in terms of deciding when to stop, I don't know. I think, I don't think I've ever really actively decided to stop. I think either something else has caught my interest um, or, and I've thought, okay, I'll just put that on, on pause. I never really think of things as ending with language learning because you've still done something. And even if you forget a lot of it, Dutch is the example for me where like, I, I was really good at Dutch for one summer. <laughs> I was really good. I was having like all the conversations on, online with my teacher. But then when I stopped, I kind of never had the time to really go back and properly learn it again. And so it's never got back to where it was. But if I intentionally wanted to, I know that I could. So I don't feel that it's ever really 
completely cut off. And I think that having that approach to it of, you know, feeling like the door is still ajar, it's not, you know, sealed and locked completely with the key thrown away, that makes me feel more comfortable with it. That makes me feel more able to kind of explore different languages and to to dabble a bit here and there. So as well as um, like all that you've done with your stories, you've got uh, a vast collection of articles on your blog and on your YouTube channel. And I know one thing that you like to talk about is habit stacking. And I'd be very curious to hear what your thoughts are on this and what you recommend it to people. Because I know that this is a very big issue people face. It's like they want to learn a language, but they just never really manage to get the momentum with it. So how does habit stacking come into play here? And how would somebody get started with this? Yeah, I think of this in two ways. I guess you could call it habit stacking and habit chains. So it's kind of thinking vertically and thinking horizontally, if you if you like. So for example, with habit stacking, I would describe that as I'm already washing up each morning after breakfast. So I may as well put Netflix on and watch something in the language I'm learning, right? So um, that time is already happening. You know, I can't change that. Otherwise, I'm going to end up with a big pile of gross, really crispy washing up at the end of the week, right? So that has to happen. So I may as well use it. Now, I can't be doing books, obviously. I can't be reading or writing, but I can be watching something or I can be listening. So I'm adding it to an existing habit. When you are brushing your teeth, another one that just happens every day, you can't stop it. You can't change it. It's there. It has to happen. When that habit happens, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to watch something in YouTube just quickly on my phone while I brush my teeth, you know, just find a quick video. Um, on the other, on the other hand, I like to think of habit chains as being either before or after. So rather than it being at the same time as something that already exists in your routine, you're thinking, okay, so before I brush my teeth, I do one quick session on memorize. Or you think after I finish brushing my teeth, I do one quick session on memorize. And so you're already doing the core habit and you're just adding something to the end or adding something to the beginning. So that's more the horizontal style, the way that I kind of picture this. Um, but yeah, they're, they're quite, I would say, you know, that's, that's like one of the easiest ways to bring language into your life rather than feeling like it has to be this whole hour plus every single day that you sit down at a desk with the books, with the notebook, you know, like we expect, like we imagine language learning to look like when we expand the definition of what language study is, then it becomes much easier to fit it into our regular lives and into our day. One of the other things that I, or language strategies, I suppose you kind of touched on it earlier, um, that you are really big on in addition to habit stacking is um, goal setting. And you had mentioned that when you kind of pick a language for the long term, you like to sit down and establish some sort of goal with it. And you and I have discussed onion goals and ladder goals and how taking this big picture, what you'd ultimately like to do with the language goal, um, and then using these two strategies to kind of break them down and actually create a day by day structure almost of what you'd like to do with your language learning. Um, how have like, do you have any other strategies like these that you use that you find really effective in your own studies? Mm, in terms of goal setting specifically? Um, goal setting, motivation, just habit stacking, anything that I guess a system of some sort. Mm, I don't think I do. I mean, it's hard for me to think of it right now because we're 
recording this in, in August. So my husband is a teacher, so he's on summer break. Everything's all very not normal. <laughs> so like routine and motivation and all of that stuff, it's not as it usually is. So there's no, literally no system right now that I'm doing. It's just a case of when do I have the time to sit down <laughs> and be like, okay, let's language learn. So maybe that's my system right now is, okay, here's, here's a few minutes, right? Let's go. Um, yeah, there's, there's nothing that comes to mind other than what you've said already. I mean, I think with the goal stuff, like I said, if, if I'm thinking of a language that I want it to be more, you know, I want to get to a better level, et cetera, then I will be setting better goals and being more proactive in that way. I mean, we do clear the list, Shannon, right? And on the, that's on the blog, having that monthly chance to check in and review. That's, okay, that's something actually that, that we haven't mentioned yet. Taking the time to go back and review your goals as well as just setting new ones that's always proved really helpful for me. So I know that for, for this month, my goals that I set not happened so far. Like I should have, I should have known because we were going to have to buy a new car and it was going to be my birthday and it's all, you know, everything's not, not normal. So I was maybe a little bit ambitious. So I know, okay, when I set my goals for September, rather than just thinking, okay, this is a new month, new goals, I'm going to just go ahead with this. I have to, the chance to then look back and think, well, actually, that didn't happen last month. Why didn't that happen? Was it just because life stuff happened and everything was really busy or was there something else? Was it because I wasn't really looking forward to doing what I'd set myself? So I feel like the review stage is often overlooked. You know, it's with goal setting, we tend to think forward, but actually taking a moment to look backwards can be much, much more beneficial as we then plan forwards again. And as you're looking backwards, uh, I know one issue so many people face is time management. So how would you reflect on uh, poor time management and improving upon that? Uh, and what do you recommend for people who like want to learn a language, but they'll just always feel like they don't have the time? You mentioned like uh, habit chaining where they'll try to tie it in and they'll try to stack it on top of things they're already doing. But what other strategies do you have and how have you improved and learned on your uh, mistakes of, of poor time management? Mm. If I've ever found myself in a sort of slump of like the time, just not, you know, feeling like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. What I find really helps to get back out of that and to get back into good habits and routines and stuff is to use a timer. So it could be like a Pomodoro. So 25 minutes where you say, I'm just going to have 25 minutes, sit down, do what I can. Five minute break. If I feel like it, I'll go back and do some more. That's really helpful. But also if I'm learning multiple languages, I tend to go for like an hour and then 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And just knowing that the timer's set and the timer is set, you know, you don't feel like, okay, well, I have to sit and do this for hours now because I've sat down. It's like, okay, well, it's only 20 minutes. And even if that timer to begin with is just five minutes, you know, setting a timer is, is the easiest way to begin to feel like you're managing your time again and to get back on top of that so that you can, you know, make the time longer and then begin to study for more as it becomes more of a habit. A lot of the language advice out there is about learning how to learn languages, but you also teach how to teach languages. Mm. So um, I'd love to know more about some of the things that you do to teach language teachers and what your advice might be for someone who's interested in becoming a language teacher. Yeah. So 
It's interesting. A lot of the work I do with teachers is actually focused not so much on the teaching, but on everything else that happens when you start to teach online. So, you know, people that I work with, maybe they've been teaching for years in a classroom or they've already got the qualifications and they've started to teach online, but it's everything else. You know, how do you get a website? How do you kind of find new students? How do you build curriculums for teaching online? All of that stuff. And so it's everything around it. But I do on my podcast for teachers on Teach Languages Online, um, every now and then I bring on Ashley, like I said, he's a teacher, my husband. And, um, and we talk about like the sort of pedagogy theory stuff because I find that stuff really interesting. Some of them, you know, I'll be like, okay, so what do you think to this one? I'll bring, bring forward a bit of a theory and he'll be like, what? That's rubbish. That makes no sense. But I think it's good to still talk about that to then be like, okay, well, why did this exist? You know, why did people think this is good and how did it then evolve to to be improved upon and, and lead to the next thing and so a lot of i'd say in terms of the how to teach languages that's probably the thing that i do the most is is thinking about that that side of things mm. and in terms of working with teachers since you 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 talk about teaching so much uh, a lot of people have the opportunity to learn from teachers while also being interested in self-learning so how how do you how do you recommend people find that balance and what do what can they take to get the best benefit out of uh, learning with their teachers while also being self-guided learners yeah that's a brilliant question so when you are learning a language solo you're not learning alone because if you're learning alone you're never gonna interact. You're never going to actually use the language, right? So yeah, you can absolutely learn a language solo, teach yourself a language. But when the teachers come in, that is your chance to check everything that you've done so far, to learn new things that you wouldn't be able to learn from the resources that you have available, you know, from an actual live native speaker in front of you, whether it's on a screen or in real life. And I think there is still, like you say, an element of you need to take some control of your own language learning and take some authority of that in a sense, you know, to recognize that actually it's not just a case of booking a lesson with a tutor and then sitting back and expecting the language to just wash over you. A bit like we talked about with immersion, you still have to be playing an active role there. And the more that you're doing that, the better your your lessons with your tutor will be as well, because you'll be able to tell them what it is that you want to do next and tell them what it is you've been working on and share that with them. I've been working on my Indonesian a bit lately and I love my lessons with my tutor for that because she'll send me a video clip. My Indonesian's kind of, you know, a sort of like better than most of my languages kind of level, but not anything to really write home about. And I, so she sends me these video clips and I'll watch them and I'll kind of understand a bit and then I'm transcribing them. But it's not just a case of, you know, if I was on my own and I was watching a video and transcribing it, it's then much harder for me to make sure that what I've done is correct or to even know that what I've done is correct. I could look up every single word that I think I've heard in the dictionary, but if most of them are just guesses, most of them are probably not real words. It's going to take me forever. But having a teacher and also doing in that lesson something that I've done autonomously is is brilliant because 
I do the transcript and I know that there's like these kind of junk words in there that don't really look like Indonesian words, but kind of have all the sounds that I'm hearing, you know, and then she'll come in and we'll be on the document together and she'll correct it. And I'll be like, ah, okay, now I see that little bit of that letter was connected to that word actually. And, you know, getting all the sort of words segmented in the right order. And that's been so, so helpful. And like I say, wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. So think about when you're thinking of working with a tutor, think about, okay, what can I do on my own? And a lot of the time it is corrections. So it's not just about, you know, showing up and just no preparation, just speaking and then ending the call. And that's it for the week or the month. It's about what can you do in between? And that's the best thing that you can do. If you've got a tutor that then also understands that, that understands that you're going to go away and you're going to be working on this and you want to come back next time and say, Hey, this is what I've done. What do you think? Then brilliant. You're set. We've talked a bit about uh, your podcasts, Teaching Languages Online and Language Stories. And you also have a book out called Not a Year Off. Um, But that's not all that you've done. You're actually quite prodigious in your language resource and course creation. Do you want to kind of run through some of the courses and um, just resources that you've worked on? Yeah. Okay. So like you say, not a year off, that's the story behind language stories. Um, it's quite funny, actually, you mention it now because Ashley is for the first time reading it. So <laughs> kind of reliving all these experiences that he's had, um, almost finished now, which is very exciting for me, kind of peek over every, every night and see what's going on. So yeah, not a year off is, is the book. And then, um, for learners, there is the planner that I have available for, for learners that kind of helps, you know, especially with all the goal setting that we've talked about today, that helps work out with that and the habits and everything. There is a hundred creative ideas for solo language learners, which I'm very excited about because that was new this year. I've had one available for teachers for ages now and always wanted to do a learner version as well. Again, about taking autonomy, right? And taking some some ownership of your own language learning so that exists that's um, an ebook with lots of kind of digital support so there's like some videos explaining stuff some examples and things like that and then there is a successful self-study which is a course designed to help you get better at the process of language learning it's all about that learning how to learn thing that we mentioned earlier as well um and yeah then oh and the other thing that i have for learners is language league shannon that that we do together with um kirsten cable which is a membership for language learners as well every month we have a new topic and uh, lots of live sessions and things going on with that too as well as all of these things that you have been working on i'm curious if you have any uh any other future projects or anything else that uh, you have in the works that might be coming out sometime soon. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I was very excited when you said you wanted to talk about language stories, because one thing we've been working on this summer, like I said, we should have been out filming season three, not happening. So we've been working on getting language stories onto Amazon Prime in the UK and the US. So season one will be live very soon, possibly by the time this goes out. Um, so that's happening very, very soon. The next thing will be uh, prompts. I think that's what's coming next. So I'm very keen on Again, with the, again, with the, with the, with the solo kind of, uh, you know, taking authority and taking ownership of your own learning. Um, prompts is all about writing prompts and speaking prompts to give you chances to actually use the language that you've been learning. 
And one of the questions that we always like to ask our guests when they come on the podcast with us, because it is the language hacking podcast, is what is language hacking to you? Ah, yeah, good question. I think it's about being smart about language learning and about knowing yourself and knowing how you best learn. And that might not be something that instantly you know right away. It might be something that takes a little bit of time to to get used to and to figure out, and that's okay. But the more that you know that and the more that you continue to be aware of that, the better language, the better a language learner you'll be. Yeah, that's a very good answer. And uh, you've had a lot of stuff, a lot of food for thought, I think, for listeners today. So thank you very much for um, for joining us. And of course, everything that you mentioned is going to be in the show notes uh, that people can find with today's episode. And um, I highly recommend they check uh, all of Lindsay's stuff out. As we said at the start, I have um, met up with her several times and I definitely appreciate um, everything she has to say about languages. And uh, congrats on the Amazon Prime. I, d- I did not know that. That's a, that's a great achievement as well. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thanks again for joining us. And until the next episode, I will wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. In each episode, Shannon and I like to share a key takeaway you can take action on, something you can put into play in your language learning right away. In our discussion today, Lindsay said something that resonated with me because it's very similar to my approach with language lessons. For this episode, it's to take control and authority of your own language learning. Don't expect your tutor or teacher to do the work. Instead, take a more active one. Tell your teacher what you're working on, what you want to focus on, and what your interests are in the language. That way, they can help you achieve what you're aiming for rather than guide you along on their goals and their curriculum as a teacher. So, how can you take better control of your learning language lessons? Come up with a plan and try it out. Let us know how it goes in the comments for this episode. We hope you enjoyed this interview and definitely enjoyed talking to Lindsay. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this interview helpful, don't forget to leave us a review at languagehacking.com review. Until next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.